Tomen asiento, por favor. Ah, no, hay cosa, no hay cosa más hermosa cuando el pueblo de Dios se reúne a alabarlo y poder abrir su palabra juntos. Ah, estoy en, segunda, en primera carta de Pedro, capítulo 2. Ah, si usted no puede entender español, yo quisiera que el Espíritu de Dios en esta mañana le pudiera hablarle a su vida a través de las Escrituras. A segunda de, perdón, primera de Pedro, capítulo 2, verso 1 al 5. Y permítame leerlo para poder entrar en la palabra del Señor en esta mañana. Ah, qué gozo poderle ver a usted en esta mañana aquí a en este, en este lugar, la verdad, gracias por la alabanza y gracias por la oportunidad que nos dan de poder ministrar a usted y, y que el Señor nos esté ministrando juntos. Dice la palabra del Señor así, en el nombre del Padre, del Hijo y del Espíritu Santo. Dice, desechando pues toda malicia y todo engaño, hipocresía, envidias, y todas distracciones, desead como niños recién nacidos la leche espiritual no adulterada para que por ella crezcáis para salvación. Si es que habéis gustado de la benignidad del Señor, verso 4 dice, acordaos de él, piedra viva, desechada ciertamente por los hombres, mas para Dios escogida y preciosa. Último verso, verso 5. Vosotros también, como piedras vivas, ser edificado, edificados como casa espiritual y sacerdocio santo para ofrecer sacrificios espirituales aceptables a Dios por medio de Jesucristo. Vamos a orar, Padre. Hemos y estamos abriendo tu palabra. Necesitamos la ayuda de tu Santo Espíritu que nos ilumine, que nos guíe, que nos dé palabra para poder entender y poder aplicar en esta mañana lo que tú quieres que aprendamos. Gracias por, por tu iglesia, gracias por la palabra tuya bendita que la tenemos, que nos ayuda, Señor, a, a refrescar nuestra vida, Señor, en medio de tanto caos, en medio de tanta certidumbre, en medio de tanta confusión, en medio de tanta información. Señor, ah, tu palabra sigue siendo segura. Sigue siendo perfecta, sigue siendo santa, Señor. Son esta mañana, Padre, pedimos que tú la bendigas y que, Padre, bendigas a tu iglesia. En Cristo Jesús. Amén. Ah, sin duda, Pedro estaba hablándole a la iglesia que se había dispersado. Y déjeme recordarle quién era Pedro. Pedro, ah, Pedro fue una persona elegida por Jesús en su ministerio. A Pedro fue pescador, su oficio era pescador, pescaba peces en el mar con otros y también Dios lo eligió para sus propósitos y Pedro también fue elegido y llamado y enviado por Dios como discípulo después de que el Señor Jesús ascendió al cielo. Pero déjeme contarle algo acerca de Pedro para que usted pueda entender lo que Pedro ah, realmente ah, 
era. Porque a veces se nos olvida, no que usted no lo sepa, pero a veces se nos olvida. A Jesús le dijo a Pedro que Pedro lo negaría tres veces, tres veces. Aún Cristo no se había ido, aún Cristo no había ido a la cruz a ser crucificado. Pedro lo negó tres veces, tres veces antes de que el, el gallo cantara. También el Señor Jesús se le apareció después a Pedro en el capítulo 21 de Juan, en el verso 15 en adelante, y le dijo Jesús a Pedro, dice, Simón, hijo de Jonás, ¿me amas? <ríe> y Pedro le dijo, Señor, te amo. Y le volvió a hacer otra pregunta y le dijo, hijo de Jonás, ¿me amas? Y, y él le dijo, Señor, tú sabes todo, tú sabes que yo te amo, apacienta mis corderos. Y la tercera pregunta le hace el Señor Jesús a, a Pedro y le dice, Simón, hijo de Jonás, ¿me amas? Y dice la palabra que Pedro se entristeció en su corazón y lloró porque el Señor Jesús le preguntó tres veces que si lo amaba. Aquí en esta carta, Pedro, si usted acaba de leer conmigo, en primera carta de Pedro, capítulo 2, verso 1 al 5, usted puede ver, el verso 1 habla acerca de desechando, desechando la malicia. Ahora, Pedro, que encontramos en primera de Pedro, no siempre fue Pedro como un pastor aquí hablando. Pedro había pasado por muchos contratiempos, por muchos problemas, por muchas debilidades, por muchos fracasos. Pedro, Pedro negó al Señor. Pedro, cuando fueron a prensar al Señor Jesús, Pedro le, le cortó la oreja al soldado que se iba a llevar al Señor Jesús en el huerto de Gexemaní. Pero ¿sabe qué? ¿Cómo podemos aprender de Pedro en esta mañana? Oh, Pedro había entendido que el caminar con el Señor tenía un precio. Un precio grande. Un precio que, que requiere tu vida completa. Cuerpo, alma y espíritu. Y le estaba diciendo a los hermanos que habían sido dispersados por causa de la persecución. Le estaba diciendo que desecharan toda malicia, todo engaño, toda hipocresía, toda envidia, toda distracción. Y que desearan como niños recién nacidos, como un bebé, como un bebé, la palabra del Señor en sus vidas. Creo yo que aquí la palabra desechando creo que implica algo muy importante. La nueva vida del cristiano no puede crecer si no renuncia a sus pecados. Escuche bien esto. El creyente sea nuevo o ya de tiempo no puede crecer si no renuncia a a sus pecados y de vez en cuando el creyente necesita purgarse purgarse significa sacar todo lo que tiene dentro 
para que pueda ser llenado por el Señor. Pero eso solamente puede ser a través de la palabra del Señor. Malicia, la palabra griega, se usa once veces, once veces en el Nuevo Testamento para indicar la maldad que viene del interior de la persona. En Romanos capítulo 1, verso 28 al 29 dice, además como, ¿cómo no estimar los que no valían, valen la pena tomar en cuenta el conocimiento de Dios? A su vez los entregó a una depravación mental para que hicieran lo que no deben de hacer. Se han llenado de toda clase de maldad, perversidad, avaricia, depravación y están repletos de envidia, homicidios, distinciones, engaños, malicias y son chismosos. Pero fíjense que Efesios capítulo 4 Verso 31 enseña algo interesante. Dice, abandonen toda amargura, ira, enojo, gritos, calumnias, toda forma de malicia, mas sean, sean bondadosos, compasivos, unos con otros, perdonándonos mutuamente, así como Cristo perdonó a nosotros. Creo que... Es interesante poder ver la palabra del Señor porque dice ahí mismo en el verso 31 de Efesios 4 dice que en otro tiempo también nosotros éramos necios, desobedientes y estábamos descarriados y éramos esclavos de todo género de pasiones y placeres y vivíamos en malicia y envidia y éramos detestables. Y nos odiábamos unos a otros. Pero ahora en Cristo no debería de ser así. Yo sé que usted no me entiende quizás. Pero los que están, los que hablan español. Yo sé que me entiende. Y sabe que desear como niños recién nacidos la leche no adulterada. Se considera cuatro cosas rapidito. No tengo mucho tiempo para explicarle, pero se los voy a dar. Cuatro cosas. Recordar siempre la fuente de vida viene a través de la palabra de Dios. No viene a través de otra cosa. Aquí el verso 2, desear la leche espiritual no adulterada, recuerda siempre que la fuente de vida es la palabra de Dios. Dos, trata de eliminar los pecados que hay en nuestra vida. En otras palabras, cuando tú comes la palabra, el pecado que mora en ti sale, se lava, se purga. Tres, admite la necesidad de la verdad de Dios en tu vida, por favor. Si tú estás aquí y hablas español y entiendes el evangelio, por favor admite que tienes una necesidad de la verdad de Dios. Mira tu vida, cómo vives. Mira tus fracasos, mira tus tu carácter, mira tus obras, mira todo lo que haces, admite que necesitas la verdad de Dios. Cuarto, procura siempre crecer espiritualmente únicamente a través de la palabra de Dios. Y cinco, considera las bendiciones del Señor en tu vida, por favor, en esta mañana. 
Sí, verso 3 dice que si, si tú habéis gustado del Señor y le habéis recibido ya como Señor y Salvador, todos los creyentes deberíamos de experimentar cuál hermoso el Señor es y cómo nos ha llenado con su gracia, con su misericordia, con su favor, con su gran amor. Y verso 4, hay algo interesante aquí. Acérquense, significa en el original, en el griego, en el hebreo, es venir con la idea de quedarse aquí, que quiere decir que nos plantemos o nos situemos cerca de Cristo, lo más cerca de Cristo, para poder ¿qué? entablar una relación personal con el Señor. Ahora, aquí es interesante esto. El Señor da un ejemplo en Juan 15, 15, cuando habla acerca de la rama y los pámpanos. También piedras vivas, estar vivo, Él ha resucitado para tener una relación con nosotros como su pueblo. Jesús fue experimentado o fue examinado con los líderes de aquel entonces, los religiosos de aquel tiempo, y fue desechado por los hombres. Ustedes conocen eso. Pero el apóstol Juan nos da un pasaje muy lindo en las Escrituras, en primera de Juan, capítulo 5, verso 11 al 12, y dice, y este es el testimonio que Dios nos ha dado vida eterna, y esa vida está en su Hijo, el que tiene al Hijo tiene la vida y el que no tiene al Hijo de Dios no tiene la vida. En el verso 5 que acabamos de leer en Primera de Pedro, ah, miren bien por qué es tan importante este pasaje. Déjeme concluir con el verso 5. Vosotros también como piedras vivas, los cristianos están identificados y unidos a Cristo. Okay. Ahora le voy a mencionar algunas ideas, algunas observaciones aquí en este verso 5. Ahora, somos edificados como casa espiritual de Dios. Okay. Somos, aquí la palabra está dando una ilustración como, como una metáfora para poder ser edificados como la casa de Dios, nosotros el pueblo de Dios. Y luego también en segundo lugar dice que somos sacerdotes delante del Señor. Ahora, en el Antiguo Testamento había sacerdotes que ofrecían sacrificios en el lugar santo y en el lugar santísimo. Ahora, en el Nuevo Creyente, ahora en el Nuevo, perdón, en el Nuevo Testamento, el creyente dice que somos sacerdotes, reyes y sacerdotes para el Señor. Tiene varias características en común y le voy a dar algunas observaciones en esta mañana. Mire, los sacerdotes tienen el privilegio de ser escogidos por Dios. Los sacerdotes son los que de alguna manera ofrecían sacrificio para la limpieza del pueblo de sus pecados. Los sacerdotes son vestidos para el servicio del Señor. Cuarto, los sacerdotes son ungidos para servir a Dios. Y quinto, los sacerdotes son ordenados para una vida de obediencia en servicio a Dios. Ahora, sexto, los 
sacerdotes debían honrar la palabra del Señor porque eran sacerdotes para eso, para que ministraran en el templo. Y también los sacerdotes, fíjese, que es que debían de alabar al Señor todo el tiempo. Los sacerdotes también deberían de animar a los pecadores o influenciarlos, acercarlos a Dios. Y por último, los sacerdotes son mensajeros de Dios. Acuérdese, usted, usted es un sacerdote. Ahora, ¿cuál es el privilegio máximo del sacerdote en el acceso de Dios para ofrecer sacrificios espirituales? Para ofrecer toda su energía corporal en la presencia de Dios. Para alabarle, para bendecirle, para hacer el bien, para poner toda su vida a su disposición de Dios y traer personas a Cristo. Sacrificar sus deseos individuales por el bien de otros. Creo que la palabra del Señor es muy clara. Y nosotros como, como hijos de Dios, como sacerdotes de Dios, dice que más vosotros sois linaje escogido en el verso 9 del Primera de Carta de Pedro, capítulo 2, verso 9, dice, Y vosotros sois linaje escogido, real sacerdocio y nación santa, pueblo adquirido por Dios para anunciar, para hablar, para comunicar las virtudes de Aquel que nos llamó de las tinieblas a su luz admirable. Oiga, esto es precioso, hermoso. El Señor me lo bendiga y muchas gracias. Thank you, Edgar. Turn with me, if you would, in your copy of God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 2, as we are going to look at The same passage that Edgar just preached. And some things stood out to me as he was preaching and as I was praying and as I was uh, reading this text and I'm excited to share those with you. So follow along as I read to you 1 Peter 2 verses 1 through 5 and then we will pray. Therefore, laying aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, As we come to your word, we, uh, we approach with humility, knowing and admitting that we need your, your spirit to instruct us. We need to be guided uh, by, by your spirit into all truth. And we thank you as we see in 1 Corinthians that you have given us the spirit of truth, the mind of Christ, that we may know the things that you have freely given to us. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would uh, accept this time as our spiritual service of worship, and that we might understand 
what this text has for us, to draw us not, not only into unity, but into further and further obedience of your word and fellowship with one another. So God, we pray that as we look at your word today, that you would give us soft hearts to receive what it teaches and to put it into practice, not only among us as, as a church, but, but in our daily lives and in the world as we take the gospel to a lost and, and dying world that desperately needs you. Lord, build us up for your glory and for our good in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to get right to the point as we're going to be looking at uh, this text today in a, in a brief amount of time. Um, I want to share with you that when I proposed this text to Edgar as our text for today, the, the, the question he asked and the right question and the logical question was, was why? why? Why this text? And while we are not even going to be able to come close to exhausting this text today, I want us to see a couple of things in here that I think will serve the unity of the church. One of the things that, that I appreciate, have appreciated about Trinity from, uh, from my introduction to, to us is that we, set, we talk about being one church in two languages. And I think to some degree, this is an aspirational goal. We have not yet perfected it. And maybe in this life, we never will perfect it. But we want to take active steps to live that out, to strive for, for truly and genuinely being one church that exists in two languages. And the elders and, and Edgar and I have been talking about ways that we can be more unified in our ministries. And that's why I'm encouraging you to put it on your calendar now to prioritize the gathering on, on May 1st. And I'm excited about what's coming up. But I want to see, I want us to look at two cause and effect relationships in this text today that I think will serve the unity of the church. And I don't think we can underplay the importance of unity in the church. If you've ever spent any time studying the book of 1 Corinthians, it is the church that nobody wanted to pastor the culture in Corinth, I think, is remarkably like uh, America today, and, and that culture had crept into the church. And Paul uh, addresses correction after correction after correction in, the, in the, the church in Corinth, but there is no correction that he devotes more time to, not sexual perversion, not adultery, not even what might be considered, though it was probably through a step relationship, um, uh, 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 sexual relationships within the context of a family, abuse of spiritual gifts. All of these things get addressed in the book of 1 Corinthians, but nothing gets more attention in that book than the lack of unity that existed in 1 Corinthians or in the church in Corinth. I offer that not because, uh, uh, not to be hard on us, but to, to highlight the importance of unity in the church. And so I want us to look at two cause and effect relationships that I think will serve unity in the church. Cause number one, cause number one, long for the word. Long 
for the word. Some translations of chapter or verse 2 in chapter 2 of 1 Peter say, like newborn babies long for the spiritual milk or pure spiritual milk. And that's a good translation. My translation, also a good translation, says long for the pure milk of the word. Why such a difference here? And maybe your translation might even say true milk of the word, depending upon what you're reading. Well, this is a difficult word to translate because it does mean spiritual. In fact, uh, we find this same word in Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. But the reason we get in some translations, the New King James, uh, the NASB, the translation I'm reading today, the Old King James is uh, of spiritual milk of the word is because the root of the word here is not pneuma or pneuma. It's not pneumaticos as we would read in, in 1 Corinthians 12, now concerning spiritual gifts, that is gifts fueled by the spirit of, of God. The word here is logikos. It is, uh, the root of it is logos. It is, it is word. And so the word here for spiritual milk is not milk that is is produced by the Spirit of God, but it is the milk of the Word of God. This this is an, an imperative command. It is not given to us as an option. We are commanded as believers to long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God. Do you long for God's word? Does your Bible sit dusty and dirty? Is getting up in the morning and reading God's word or or at night before you go to bed seem like a task for you? We are commanded to long for the word, to to desire the word. And to, to highlight this, Peter uses the imagery of not just a baby, but a newborn baby. And a newborn baby wants... One thing, milk. A newborn baby demands one thing, milk. A newborn baby in that sense needs one thing, and that is milk. And so Peter is drawing upon this analogy and saying that is the way that you should long for the word of God. Without milk, the infant dies. An infant's life, an infant's health, and even an infant's happiness is connected to its receiving of milk. That is to be the reality of the believer. And that is how we are to feel towards his word. We are to desire it as though our lives depended on it. What if you don't, though? Well, we'll get to that in just a moment. Verse 3 reveals to us the fix when we don't long for the word. But that's the cause. When we long for the word, when we feast on the word, when we take in the word regularly and repeatedly like an infant longing for milk, the effect is the remainder of verse 2, so that by it, that is by the word, you may grow. You may grow in respect to salvation. The cause is longing for the word. The effect is growing into salvation. 
I don't need to labor this point. I think it's simple. We can all understand it. What does a baby need to grow? It needs milk. What does a Christian need to grow? It needs the word. The automatic result in a baby of feeding it is growth because that is the way God has designed it. That is the way God has designed us, that we eat and we grow. And it is the automatic result of the intake of the word in the life of the believer. If you feel stuck in your Christian life, your first diagnosis should be, what does my intake of the word look like? But when we take in the word, when we are feeding on the word, and and the result is growth, well, we see, verse 3, that the the, the kindness of the Lord, or some translations might say you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. What, What if you don't long for God's word? I think what Peter is telling us here is that if you don't long, for God's word, it's because you have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Bradley's automatic response to new food is, I don't like that. And then when compelled to eat it, he will often go, oh, that's pretty good. We'll see what happens when you try new things. Uh, when, when our lives are void of God's word, when we are not meeting with the Lord there, often we go, oh, this is so tedious, I'm tired, I have other things to do, I have more important things to do, or maybe the most common thing I hear today, tragic really, is I don't read. The world is run by readers. The church is led by readers. There's a reason God revealed himself and his word at a, at a time when the media of the day was written and not video. It's not incidental. But when we commit ourselves to reading God's word, what we find in there is a God who is good. We find that, that he is gracious and kind, as my translation translated. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And it becomes sweet to us and we desire it and we, we, we take it in. I don't have time to, to flesh this whole thing out today, but the reality is that the word of God creates unity in the church. And, and I'll put some text to this that you can read later. Examine 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 10, and Romans 14. The emphasis in those passages is that where that, that usually, I'll use the term usually, but, but where there is spiritual maturity, there is unity. And when there, where there is spiritual immaturity, there is disunity. I'll say that again. 1 Corinthians 8 and 10 and Romans 14 teach us that where there is spiritual maturity, there is unity in the church. I think this is really, really important in our day and age because oftentimes what we see is in such a mobile society, the moment there's something in a church I don't like, I go somewhere else. I'm not saying there's never a time to go somewhere else. But generally, that's an indication of a lack of maturity. 
Because where there's maturity, there is unity. And so when we long for the milk of the word and when we intake the milk of the word, that's the cause. The effect is spiritual growth. Verse 2, we grow in respect to salvation and the end result of maturity in the church is unity. Uh, Grown-up Christians cherish unity while immature Christians tend to create division around them. What would it take for you to, to decide that, um, that there shouldn't be unity? Is there a musical style that might drive you out of the church? Maybe you're involved in a program that if we stopped it, you would go somewhere else. Maybe it's the number of services we have. I don't know. But when the center of our lives is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and if we're keeping that central to our lives by feasting on his word, which every page from Genesis to Revelation is about him, then we will have much more in common than we could ever have apart. When we have Christ in common, that is a greater bond than our political party or the language we speak or the music we listen to or the generation we're from. First cause, longing for the word, the effect, spiritual growth. The second cause is drawing near to Christ. This is the cause, or really almost in sense, it's an effect. That's what we've already talked about. When you long for the word and you take in the word, you grow in maturity. And what is the natural outcome of that maturity? It is a drawing near to Christ. Verse Four. And the result here, there's a, if, uh, there's a connection between verse 4 and verse 3. And as we see that he's good and grow in respect to, to salvation, as we are coming to him. The next cause is drawing near to Christ. The word, feasting on the word, growing in maturity, results in a closeness to him because we do taste and see that he is good. Usually Christians who don't feel God's presence have slight relationships with his word. Again, I don't want to labor this point because it's very simple. We long for the word. We grow in maturity. We draw near to Christ. This is the second cause. The the second effect is unity in the church. Look with me at verse 5. As we draw near to Christ, this living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, verse 5, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for God, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Our modern American mindset tends to think of uh, Paul's usage of this idea of being a temple of of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 6.19 in this very individualistic sense. I don't smoke because my body's a temple of God. I don't do drugs because my body's a temple of God. The the context of 1 Corinthians 6.19 is I don't engage in sexual immorality because my, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That as the Spirit lives in me, when I engage in sin, I drag him into that sin with me. 
That's the context of 1 Corinthians 6.19. But, but what we see here in 1 Peter 2 is a completely different context. Not that I, me as an individual, am the temple of God, and therefore when I'm uh, in my living room reading my Bible, I am the church. When I'm sitting under a tree enjoying creation in the mountains, I am the church, and, and that's where the dwelling place of God is. No, Peter presents us not as an individually as a bunch of temples of God, but merely as single bricks or stones in the building that is the temple of God, namely the church. The effect of drawing near to Christ is that we are built together as as bricks in a building of the house where God lives. And it is not that this building is the house of the Lord, but that the gathered people of God filled with the word and the presence of Christ and the spirit of God, are the temple of God. We're just individually stones. If you want to build a house, you don't order one brick. And if you want to be the temple of God, you don't operate as one stone. To long for the word is to grow in salvation. To grow in salvation is to draw near to Christ. And to draw near to Christ is of necessity to draw near to one another. Because whatever separates me, I'm on one side politically and you're on another side politically. I'm on one side of the mask and vaccine debate. You're on the other side of the mask and vaccine debate. It doesn't matter what the debate is. As we draw near to Christ, we of necessity draw near to one another. It happens naturally when we begin to understand that that drawing near to Christ is to draw near to one another. The, the, The formula here is simple. Longing for the word results in personal spiritual growth. Personal spiritual growth results in a drawing near to Christ. And a drawing near to Christ results of necessity in drawing near to one another. As we keep the word of God central in the life of the church, as we keep the gospel central in the life of the church, as we understand that it's not that Jesus lived for me and died for me and paid the penalty of my sin, but that he lived for us and died for us and paid the penalty of our sin then we begin to really grasp what's going on. I think this is why Paul in 1 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians in Ephesians uh, chapter, I think it's 3, prays that together with all the saints, we might know what is the height and depth and length and breadth of God's love for us. Together. God, it's, it's, like, it's like when we come together, it's like standing before the Grand Canyon filled with God's grace. And we go, man, this is, this is incredible. By myself, I, I might dig a little trench and say, well, look what God's done. He wants us to stand before something much bigger than, than just my own personal experience. And, and almost always in Scripture, when it talks about the death and resurrection and salvation and atonement of Christ, that is his paying for our sin, it doesn't usually talk in terms of me, but in terms of we 
and us together. As we keep the gospel the main thing, we just, we by, by nature grow together. And, and this is true of our entire spiritual lives. Think back to when you were saved. Maybe for some of you, today is that day. When you realize your sinfulness and the fact that, that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became one of us, became part of his own creation, to live a perfect life that, that you and I can't live, and then to die a death in our place. And that by simple trust in him, we're forgiven of all of our sins and welcomed into an eternity with him. Maybe you can recall that day and from all that you were saved from. Maybe for some of us, we're years or decades down the line. But guess what? The need is the same. From the first day of your salvation to the day you are ushered into the fullness of that salvation, which is really in large part what First Peter is about. I won't read it for sake of time, but go read First Peter about waiting for this ultimate salvation. From, from the day you are saved to, to the day you go to glory, you are every bit as much in need of the word of God and the gospel of God and Jesus Christ and to draw near to him. Do you long for the word? Do you read it that you might taste and see that he is good? Are you unified with other believers as you draw near to Christ and to one another? The formula is simple. Feast on God's word. Taste and see that he is good. Grow in salvation. Draw near to Christ and to one another as a temple of the Lord, whereby together we offer Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as we, as we come together in unity, as we aspire to that end, as we work to correct our sinfulness, as we, as we proceed in, uh, in salvation, as we long for your word and take it in, Lord, we, we come to this place where we together are being built into a temple for you, where we offer spiritual services or sacrifices. And Lord, may we, may we see that, that we are still called to sacrifice even today. That convenience and ease is not the priority in worship, but that we willingly sacrifice of our time, of our money, of our energy, of our preferences, we lay all those things down on the altar of your grace to offer through Christ acceptable worship to you. And Lord, as we, as we come now to, uh, to your table where we celebrate not only our unity to Christ, but our unity to one another, may it be another moment of acceptable sacrifice of worship as we not only remember the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf, and that through faith we partake of that sacrifice. But let it also be a reminder of our unity to, to one another. 
that because, as we read in 1 Corinthians 10, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. And so as we come together as a church today, and as we partake of the bread and of the juice, Lord, may, may it be a reminder to us not only of what Christ has done, but our unity with one another. And we ask that it would be glorifying to you and good for the church. Amen.